Good morning again. I'm going to be sharing with you from Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So if you happen to have your Bibles there, um, whether they're digital or hard copy, uh, we have interesting times in our church when we start talking about Bibles because most people have digital Bibles in Tokyo these days, and they come in multiple languages in our church. Uh, we used to, in the old days in Japan, give the page number and say, uh, I'm preaching from, you know, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. It's on page, whatever. Can't do that anymore. Um, today I want to look at uh, this theme of a very important theme, a uh, very key theme for Advent and for Christmas. Uh, it's called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I want to pick up from the narrative that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, brief narrative in the Gospel of Matthew, of chapter 1, about the birth of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew verses chapter, chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, just before verse 22, we see that Joseph, uh, the stepfather of Jesus, is told by an angel that his fiancée, Mary, who would become the mother of Jesus, though she was still a virgin, would give birth to a baby. And the angel instructs Joseph to name the baby Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And then we read our key verse for today. We find that in Matthew 1, 22 to 23. Ooh, a little off the screen there. Uh, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. It's interesting that when Matthew wrote that up there in in our verses, Matthew in chapter 1 there, he quoted from the Old Testament. That's why it's in quotes there. But then he had to explain one word out of there for for his then readers. By the way, Emmanuel, he says, means God with us. Now the word Emmanuel is certainly a Christmas theme, isn't it? That's why we sing Christmas carols with the word Emmanuel in them. But behind the word Emmanuel lies more than just a Christmas idea. Behind the word Emmanuel lies much more than just Christmas events, like the birth of Jesus Christ, the shepherds out in the field, the wise men coming, uh, all those, those Christmas stories we know so well from, gospel, from the gospel accounts. The idea, actually, Emmanuel, has deep roots, way back in the Old Testament, going back hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And in fact, Emmanuel is actually a biblical theme for our entire Christian life and our entire Christian faith. So the concept of Emmanuel, or God with us, God's presence with us, runs from the very beginning of the Bible, the first few chapters of the Bible, where God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve every evening, he was with them, to the very last chapter of the Bible, where we will be with God in heaven someday. The idea of being with God is a, is a biblical theme that runs from the front end of the Bible right to the back end of the Bible. It is an idea that characterizes God's personal relationship with his children. Now, at the time of the birth of Jesus, God must have seemed extremely, excruciatingly, excruciatingly silent to his people. Beginning at least with the time of Moses... Many, many hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the prophetic messages from God to his people have been quite frequent throughout the Old Testament. 
And a sort of long historical chart might help us put that in our brains a little bit better. Here's one way of getting a feeling for the frequency of, of God's teaching that he gave to his children right from the beginning of, of the Old Testament up to the time of Christ. Uh, this chart moves from left to right, and each vertical line is like a 20-year period. And I'm starting at about 860 B.C., 860 years before Christ was born. And this chart that you see right now runs over to about 400 or so B.C. Uh, if you look closely, you can see that in the 20-year 20 20 gaps in there, there's some uh, 20, 20, the 20-year 20 lines, you'll see that there's some gaps between the prophets. Those lines up there, those horizontal lines are the prophets. The God's people who he chose to teach his people. Uh, there's some gaps between them. You'll see some gaps in there. 20-year segments, 40-year gaps are in that chart. Um, but, but that's about it. So if you look from 860 B.C. to 420 B.C., that whole chart up there, you'll see God spoke frequently to his to his people. From the time of Elijah and Elisha kind of off the chart there on the left all the way through to Malachi. However, there is about an 80-year gap between Malachi and Zechariah here at the end. During that 80-year gap, gap, apparently there are no recorded prophetic teachings that God gave his people. But there is a really huge gap after Malachi that you can't see in this chart. It's so huge that, you know, the chart would be double the, double the width and I couldn't fit that all on. So I do what all missionaries do. They cut a slide in half and show you two pieces and you have to put it together. So here's the rest of the chart. Here's the right-hand side of the chart. Uh, this huge gap is visible in this chart. Uh, from the time of Malachi's prophecy, the last book of the Old Testament, from then all the way until Jesus was born, God seemed to be silent. He was not speaking to his people. He was no longer on speaking terms with his people. His people had rejected him, and so God had rejected them. God's silence stretched for about 420 or 440 years from the time of the last book of the Old Testament uh, all the way up, up until the birth of Jesus Christ, all the way up until John the Baptist began to prophesy the coming of the Lord. But despite that 400 plus years of silence from God, there were numerous prophets of God prior to that time, about say 700 B.C. or 600 B.C., that clearly prophes prophesied the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah is one of the most famous prophets that did that, and he lived 700 years before Jesus was born. The quote in our text today, Matthew 1:23, that I read a few minutes ago, is from Isaiah. And it reads like this in Isaiah. The quote, the quote that is Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 1 comes from Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This Old Testament verse quoted in Matthew chapter 1 occurs in a section of Isaiah that contains a whole bunch of promises about the coming of the Messiah, about the coming of Jesus Christ. The promises in Isaiah chapters 7 through 9 uh, are given at a time when Israel and Judah were in a great time of turmoil. Their enemies were attacking them. The northern kingdom of Israel had been forcefully taken away into Assyrian captivity in about 720 B.C., just a few decades before Isaiah lived, just a few decades before Isaiah did his ministry. And then about 50 years after the time of Isaiah, the southern kingdom, Judah, began to be hauled away into captivity, this time to Babylon. Judah was entirely captured by Babylon in about 587 or 586 B.C. So God's Old Testament people 
were surrounded by enemies at the time Isaiah was prophesying these words that we read here in Isaiah chapter 7. And during those difficult years, God's people found hope in the prophecies all about Emmanuel, all about the Messiah, all about the coming Christ. And so perhaps they had these kinds of thoughts about those prophecies that they, that they would treasure in their hearts from their prophets. Maybe they were thinking this way. Maybe there is hope that God still just might love us. We rejected him and he's rejected us, but maybe, just maybe, he might turn around and show his love to us again. He still might be on speaking terms with us. Not now, not right now, but maybe at some point in the future that the prophets are pointing to, maybe at that time, God will speak clearly to us. So in the centuries before the coming of Jesus, the people of God hung on to these promises from the prophets, the prophets like Isaiah. And and there are a number of these prophecies in Isaiah I want to look at this morning. Here are some of them. Uh, these These are the prophecies that gave the people of God in the Old Testament days hope. Emmanuel, says Israel, says, says Isaiah, will frust- Emmanuel, the Messiah, will frustrate the plans of the enemies of God's people. Verse 8, chapter 8 of verse 10 says, devise your strategy. This is Isaiah speaking to his enemies, speaking to probably Babylon in this case. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan to wipe out the people of God, but it will not stand. Why? Because God is with us. Because God is Emmanuel. God will overrule the evil plans of Assyria and Babylon to destroy God's people. Because God is with God's people. The coming Messiah is God with God's people. The coming Messiah is the Emmanuel. So the Messiah will appear, says Isaiah in another passage. This Messiah in the future, far in the future, will appear in Galilee of the Gentiles as a light for those living in the land of the shadow of death. You know this verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. That's where Jesus walked. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This shadow of death and this gloom that is referred to in these verses here of Isaiah chapter, chapter 9 can partly be understood as this 400 or more years of divine, deafening silence. Those 400 years of silence were dark years. God's people yearned for hope. They yearned for salvation. They yearned for evidence that once again God really did love them. And Isaiah goes on in his book of Isaiah to give even more clarity about this future promise, this future hope. The Messiah coming to be with them, the Emmanuel, will have many characteristics. Chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born. Famous words. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah prophesied beyond that, that the hope in this future, in the future, will not just be a temporary hope, like a flash in a frying pan kind of a hope, but rather it will be an eternal hope. Emmanuel's or the Messiah's government of peace will never end. Emmanuel will reign forever. Chapter 9, verse 7 of Isaiah. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So if you were a Jewish person reading the words I just wrote a few, read a few moments to you, read a few moments ago to you from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, these are probably the kinds of things that you would think about when you heard the title Emmanuel. You knew that the coming Messiah is known as the Emmanuel, God with us person. So when people in the days of Jesus heard the word Emmanuel, they automatically thought of God's saving presence with them. He is with us to save us. The Messiah is coming. He will be with us to save us, Emmanuel. And the promise of God's presence, this Emmanuel idea, is repeated for us in the New Testament. It wasn't just for the people looking for the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost also a promise for us looking for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, it's, and the presence of God affects us as we walk through. It, it, it gives us hope and encouragement as we walk our, our life together and with the Lord. And that's what I want to focus on for the, next, the last few minutes of my message. What difference does it make? that God is with us? What difference does it make that Emmanuel has come first in Jesus and then to be with us through the Holy Spirit? That's what I'm going to focus on here. A little bit of practical application here. We've been looking at the distant past, you know, five, six, seven hundred years before Christ was born, uh, and now we're, we're going to go to our present tense talking here. Number one, I have four points. Number one, God's presence evokes worship. Emmanuel evokes worship. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Amen. When we gather for worship and prayer, God is with us in a special way through Jesus Christ. God bonds us together through worship and fellowship that focus on Jesus, that focus on his word. God's presence seems particularly real to us when we worship together, whether we're just a few people, two or three, as this verse states, or whether it's a larger group like you are today. When Jesus is at the center of our worship, when Jesus is at the center of our fellowship, then this worship that we do becomes a celebration of God's presence. God's salvation, yes, but he's present with us to save us. His presence is celebrated every time we gather for worship. Because Jesus is present when we worship, he's able to encourage us. He's able to strengthen us. When we worship together, we taste the hope and the joy that Jesus gives. This is because worship is a time to celebrate God with us, or Emmanuel. The presence of Jesus in worship then evokes a desire for God we desire to see God with us, to feel God with us, to know God with us, and it evokes a desire on our part for even more worship. We have people in our church who travel an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters to get to our worship service in the morning. And sometimes I ask them, why? Well, first of all, there are other churches they could go to, but more importantly, they just they, the answer is, we, we, we have made this our worship home. This is where we come to sense God's presence and to know that he's with us. Desiring God in worship is evidence that we have tasted his presence in a special kind of a way through Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel. God's presence evokes worship. Number two, 
God's presence alleviates loneliness. John 14, 16 to 18 says, this is Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, and I will ask the Father, this is just before Jesus physically leaves his disciples, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Another counselor means Jesus was called the wonderful counselor back in Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus was a counselor, but he's going to leave another counselor when he leaves. He's going to leave with his disciples another counselor. The world cannot accept this other counselor because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So while Jesus walked the earth, he lived with his disciples 24-7 for this brief time of ministry, about three years with his disciples. He was a whole host of things to his disciples. He was their master. He was their teacher. He was their leader. He was their healer. But he was also their wonderful counselor. And when he ascended to heaven, and so therefore physically left his disciples behind on earth, when he physically left his disciples, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be with all who believe in, in him. He did not abandon them as orphans. He continued to be with them through the Holy Spirit, and he continues to be with us in the same way. So the solution to our fears of loneliness lies in the fact that God the Son lives with us, lives within us through his Holy Spirit. You know, I have experienced living in one of the most isolated places known to man up in the Arctic for about nine months. Uh, but while I was there, I was not really lonely. This was before I became a missionary, before I met my wonderful wife, etc., etc. God was with me at those times. I still remember sweet times of fellowship with God up there in the Arctic. God used that time in my life. It was there that I decided to become a missionary to Japan. I reasoned while I was up there that if God had me born and raised in Japan, he just might want me there as a missionary too. It just made sense. So since then, it's been like one step at a time following the open doors that God keeps placing before us. He could shut those doors anytime he wants, but he keeps them open for us. And White Rock Community Church, back then, in the mid-70s, was my church. It wasn't called White Rock Community Church. It was White Rock Evangelical Free Church there. A few people here I remember from back then, like Fred, etc. Uh, White Rock Community Church was an important part of my life in those days in the mid-1970s. Now, in contrast to that unpopulated area of the Arctic that I lived in for a while, perhaps one of the most challenging places to experience loneliness is not in isolation like that, but is actually in a crowd. Loneliness in a crowd. Emotional loneliness can often be more intense, more severe than physically being alone, can't it? Ever been lonely in a crowd? See the one man there? Stands out. Loneliness in the crowd. Loneliness can happen even when we are with others, and even when we are married. When marital problems occur, loneliness often is the result. The spouses drift apart even though they live together. They are physically with one another, but they are not emotionally with one another anymore. And loneliness can be most intense often at holiday times like Christmas when families get together. This is especially true for those who do not have a family to share their holiday time with. The personal relationships that can develop 
in the church, in the community of Jesus Christ, this microcosm of the kingdom of God that we call the church. Relationships that develop there in the family of God minister and serve and help people in a very special way who are lonely. Jesus' words that we have up here, and, oh, not there, the previous slide, John chapter 14, verse 18, are especially true for those who are struggling with loneliness. You are not an orphan. You are not alone. By my spirit, I am with you to help, comfort, and counsel. So God's presence alleviates, has the potential for alleviating loneliness. Emmanuel, God with you. Third practical point, God's presence empowers us for service. At both the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew that we read a few moments ago, and then at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, we see God's presence underlined. And of course, being a missionary, I have to get a missionary verse up here somewhere while I preach, right? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Listen to God's presence here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Emmanuel in that verse. There are four commands in this passage, right? Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. They're all underlined up there. Each command is important. They all grammatically line up around this command to make disciples. But the power to obey these commands is in the last sentence. God's presence. Emmanuel. Because Jesus is with us, he will help us fulfill each of those commands up there. He strengthens us so that we can obey his commands. And we don't have to be half a globe away to teach, to make disciples, etc., to obey this verse. We are to be witnesses for Jesus wherever he decides to scatter us. The book of Acts makes that really clear. The words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my disciples, pardon me, you will be my witnesses, is a prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. And he's prophesying that all, everybody who believes in him will become his witness wherever you happen to be. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, he will make you into his witness. And you might not even know it. And you might be his involuntary witness as well as his voluntary witness. Wherever you might be, God will make you into his witness. But that's a whole different sermon. We won't go into that today. The point is God's presence empowers us for service. Fourth point, God's presence gives hope. God's presence gives hope. Look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is preparing a place for us when we die. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. John 14, 1 to 3. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I like the word rooms there, not mansions. I think King James Version and others puts mansions in there. That sounds like a big, huge place, right? A mansion. You know what a mansion is in Japanese? It's a little room, a manchon, they call it. It's a little, a little, a little box where you live. And so, I, so manchon makes sense for Japanese, but for us English speakers, mansion means a big place. Rooms, that's a good way to put it. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. That's Emmanuel. The primary characteristic of that place that God is, Jesus is preparing for us is God's presence. 
God is with us there. Jesus is with us there. In that place, we will be with our Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity and with those who are his followers. Death is not the end of the road for us. It is just the beginning. After we die, we will see Jesus face to face just as we see one another today. Our life on planet Earth until the time we physically die is just like kind of an introduction or a warm-up for our eternity with Jesus Christ. We will be in his home. He's gone to build a place for us, but it's his home. He's inviting us into his eternal home. He's invited us to his place that he is making for us. So the direction of movement within this future idea of Emmanuel changes from God with us to we with God. And I don't know if that's grammatically correct to say that. There's no verb in there, is there? Anyway, we with God. The direction reverses. You see, in this life, before we physically die, God comes to our place. He comes to our world. We celebrate that at Christmas, right? And then God lives within us by his spirit. But in our future glorified resurrection life, we will be taken to God's place. Jesus will take us to the place he has prepared. Jesus will take us to be with him in his home that will then become our eternal home. But the underlying idea of being with God remains the same, doesn't it? Whether God comes to us or we go to God, we're with him and he's with us. God's presence, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the hope of God's people for all eternity, from the Old Testament days all the way through to our eternal future. God's presence gives hope. I encourage you to practice the presence of God. I, I have been thinking that uh, often it's easy for me as a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ to preach and to teach, but to actually during my daily life to be somewhat of a practical atheist. When I go around making my decisions in life, I don't always do them in full awareness and consciousness that God is with me. So practice the presence of God. Practice Emmanuel. What better time of the year than Advent and Christmas? to celebrate and to practice the presence of God with us. So I encourage you to do four things. Practice God's presence by weekly gathering together for worship of Jesus. Make regular weekly worship an essential part of your lifestyle. That's a lifestyle choice you can make. And in making that choice, you are saying to yourself, to others around you, and to the Lord himself, I am practicing your presence. I'm practicing the presence of God in my life. Second of all, I encourage you to practice God's presence by remembering that Jesus is with you to help and to comfort you when you are lonely. That's a mental exercise. When you're feeling lonely, it's hard to get into this space. But it's there. God invites you to practice his presence when you are lonely. Practice God's presence by reminding yourself that he empowers you for your ministry in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. We are not the ones who make our ministries fruitful. Rather, God's strengthening presence within us is what makes us fruitful, right? And let's not forget to view our own ministry for God as a way of bringing Emmanuel to those we are serving. Find a way to be God's presence for somebody else this week. Don't just rejoice in the fact that God is with you, but go and be with somebody else and be God's presence to them. Finally, practice God's presence by reminding yourself that physical death is just the beginning for both you and your loved ones who have died knowing Jesus. Someday you will be invited into the eternal home Jesus has gone on ahead to prepare. 
Therein lies our hope in the midst of grief. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come to us in Jesus. We have been graced by the presence of God through Jesus Christ. May we learn how to practice and celebrate his presence all year long. Amen.